Leadership starts with each one of us. It's a personal journey that, if we do well, allows us to do better for others. On this Saturday cast, the journey of a senior military officer to make better leadership a reality. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 436. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. This is the monthly Saturday cast. About once a month, I air an episode here on a Saturday that's a chat with one of our Academy members or listeners. The next regular episode is still coming on Monday. These are a bonus show that we do once a month. And the Saturday casts are sponsored and brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. The Academy is a year-long cohort of participant leaders who work personally with me to create movement in their leadership development and organizational results. You can discover more and get alerted about opportunities to apply for the Academy by visiting coachingforleaders.com dot com slash academy. And today's guest is a longtime listener of the show and someone who is in a position of leadership within our government and someone I know that will inspire us to really think even more insightfully about leadership and also from the standpoint of self-reflection. So much of leadership is about how we first really look at what I call personal leadership, how we are leading ourselves first. Uh, Today's guest is just a wonderful example of that. I'm really glad to welcome Mike Holliday to the show. Mike is a 26-year career military officer and a colonel in the United States Air Force. He's been a commander at the squadron and group level and is currently the chief of engineering overseeing design and construction across the entire Pacific theater, and he is based in Honolulu. Colonel, I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. Dave, I'm honored and humbled that you would invite me on, and, and thanks for having me out today. It's great. You and I have been talking over email for, well, I guess it's been a couple of years now. Uh, do you recall how you came across the podcast originally? I do. So 2015, 2016, I was stationed in Pakistan, in Islamabad, Pakistan. And my roommate and I would get up in the morning and go to the fitness center on a fairly routine basis. And as we drive back, Eric would start espousing knowledge to me about different topics. And I finally said, what are you doing in the gym? Because I'm I'm listening to Led Zeppelin or something, you know, and just kind of trying to forget how much I hate running on a treadmill. And he says, oh, I listened to a podcast. And I said, well, what do you listen to? What's a podcast? And he said, oh, and he explained it to me. And um, he shared one with me. And so I kind of tossed that around for a little bit. And I didn't really get right into it because I felt like that was my time to just do my thing. And finally, I realized I needed to make better use of that time. And so I searched for a podcast on leadership and I wanted to understand leadership better. And even at that point, I had had 22, 23 years in the service. And some would say, well, you're, you're a leader. You've been in the military. You've commanded. I still felt like there were some things that I was lacking. And your podcast was the first one that came up. And um, so I said, well, it's the first one that came up. It's got great reviews. Let's see what it does. Let's see what, it, let's see what 
this gentleman that I can't even be- begin to pronounce his last name. What does it say? <laughs> and I was immediately intrigued and I binged. I started binging on episodes of Coaching for Leaders. And that's, that's how it began. And that's where it's continued. Is That's just my part of my daily routine now as I get up and go to the fitness center to work out. I grab a podcast episode. Usually I, I listen to your Monday episode and then I love the links that you provide to other episodes. And so that allows me to delve deeper into a given topic through listening to other episodes and the, the chaining there from one episode to the next to the next, I have found incredibly beneficial in the ability to comprehend a topic or a subject um, at a deeper level. Oh, I'm so glad that's useful. I'm I'm realizing in the recent months I need to do a better job of really diving in on that because so many people have found that to be useful. So more to come on that uh, soon, I'm sure. I'm thinking about also just what you said. In you are someone who, by any by any external measure, has had a tremendous amount of success in your career. For those who aren't familiar with military rank, colonel is one level below general. So you are a very high level leader in our military. And have had tremendous success. And yet, here you are going in and and really looking and seeking more to become a better leader. And I'm curious, where does that drive come for you when you first found out about podcasts and decided you want to do this? What's behind that? I'd say that, so I went through ROTC. I'm a, a reserve officer training commission. I think that's what ROTC stands for. That was a long time ago. I'm a ROTC grad. And I came out of ROTC and uh, with some basic leadership skills. And back in the early 90s, when I came on active duty, uh, we didn't have a lot of guidance and direction out there. And from my perspective, there still seemed to be this mystery, this uh, unknown of what really makes a great leader. How do you become a great leader? And what I took out of my learning was observation, find somebody and observe and go down that path. So that's what I did. And although I, as you said, and I feel I've had a great career, you know, I've commanded two squadrons, one of them in the deployed environment. So overseas in another country, and then another one here in the States up in Mountain Home, Idaho, which is in Southwest Idaho. I still looked at other leaders that I admired and I could not discern what it was that I was lacking to become that to that next level. And so I started to dig into that and try to see where my gaps were that I needed to work on closing. One of the quotes that you shared with me in preparing for our conversation is a quote that Parker Palmer mentioned on a past episode. He's a, just a brilliant educator and a thought leader on leadership and education. And he said, he quotes Socrates of saying, the unexamined life is not worth living. What's significant about that for you? Right. So that came out in Parker's discussion. And there were a couple of episodes prior to that, that I had heard that um, were significant, that caused me to think about myself. Mike Irwin, as he, so Mike Irwin, if I remember right, is a uh, Lieutenant Colonel in the Army and teaches at West Point. Yeah. And he spoke about the power of solitude and the, the need to do intense thinking, 
Cal Newport. Uh, I've got Cal Newport's book. I'm working on getting through it. It's, a, it's a, For me, it's a very deep read. And I guess that's appropriate because it, it is a book about deep work. And then Daniel Goleman, Enhancing Your Self-Awareness. So there was a lot of discussion in there about understanding yourself. And then when Parker gave that quote, to me, that was a very profound, impactful quote to say, a life isn't worth living unless you examine it. That's significant. That's meaningful. I should understand my life and why I do things and what causes me to do things. Marshall Goldsmith talks about triggers, right? He's got the book Triggers. Yeah. And he speaks about triggers, that stimulus that influences our behavior. He, in his episode with you, he gave that great quote out of Viktor Frankl. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. And that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And to me, that quote culminated for me, this need to start better examining my life and understanding what was causing me to react in either appropriate or inappropriate manners. Uh, I'm the first to admit I used to have a very short temper and I didn't understand why. And, and because I didn't understand why, it didn't get better. And I needed to sit and reflect on that. And so I've got a fairly routine habit of journaling and using that as that's my avenue to unload my brain. Uh, somebody gave the quote once, uh, a brain makes a terrible office manager. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, brain is also, it gets burdened down with all of that and, and trying to piece it all together in my brain just doesn't work. And I need to be able to sit and journal and get my thought out and see how it interrelates with other aspects of, um, of me and who I am and what makes me up. It's really incredible to me how often I hear folks in our audience say that journaling has been so useful to them. And I, I appreciate you mentioning the work of Mike Irwin, and he talked about the importance of solitude in leadership and finding that, that space to do thinking. As you have done more of that in the past couple of years, what's emerged for you in your thinking that's different than was before you began that journey? I don't have to have an immediate response. So I used to feel like I needed to be uh, Johnny on the spot with the answer. And, and leadership is about sitting sometimes and listening and evaluating your environment, observing your, your environment, um, the landscape that you're in. And then providing reflective comment. And it doesn't even have to be the answer. It can sometimes be an observation and um, a reflection and, and a direction to investigate. And so just being able to very comfortably take a step back and even maybe take a seat and observe for a little bit before I dive headfirst into the unknown. I want to know a little bit more of the what's out there before I dive into it. What's different about that approach than the approach you had when you came into the military in the early 90s? It minimizes the 
cyclical pendulum swing. So I don't swing from one extreme to the next. And subsequently, I don't jerk my team from one extreme to the next. I don't run to the, the flashy object to see what's going on. We can sit and we can discuss it. And clearly, there are times where we've got to make a decision. And we've got to make a decision with less than 100% of knowledge. So just a little tangential here. Uh, when I came in to the Air Force, I remember uh, one of the instructors in ROTC used the uh, phrase uh, paralysis by analysis. He talked about other officers that he had observed and how they would get locked into analyzing the problem and would not make a decision. And I have seen that in my career. And for me, that was very frustrating. And so I was probably on the other extreme of paralysis by analysis. I, I was going to make a decision. And uh, right, wrong, I was going to make a decision and we were going to move out. And that causes a lot of whiplashing within an organization, within, from my perspective, within it, because you can take time, and I think you should take the amount of time that you have available to analyze, uh, but you don't need to take more than you have to. And that, that's the delicate balance there. I appreciate that. But taking the time to understand what the issue is, what this decision is going to mean, how does that align with my vision? Uh, so I can't remember the vivid vision discussion by Cameron. Cameron but Harold. how does it yeah. yep Cameron yeah. Harold how does this align with my vision for my organization for me personally how does this align with my values Renee Brown she talks about living into our values and trying to provide a bit of a more deliberate path in the actions of my team and in my leadership I'm thinking about that quote you mentioned at the beginning from Frankel of the difference, you know, the, the space that we have, the choice we have between stimulus and response. And there is the tendency for a lot of us to chase the shiny object or the issue of the day, right? And sometimes lose sight of the broader picture. And you said a moment ago, the, the vivid vision, which I want to ask you more about because Cameron Harold, when he was on the show, talked about creating a vivid vision. And in some ways, I think that's a bit of an antidote for those of us who tend to chase the shiny object and you know are always looking for the next thing and what's going on today and to think a little bit big picture and to have a long-term path. What did that look like for you as you started to consider that? So vision statements and mission statements, those have all been the vogue, right? Within the military, well, at least within the Air Force. And as a commander, they tell you, you should develop a vision statement for your organization. Where do you want your organization to go? And I've participated in offsites uh, with other jobs and developing vision statements and been through a couple of different iterations and models on that. And many vision statements end up in a drawer somewhere on a piece of paper and you leave command two years later and you forgot that you ever wrote it. And I wondered, what's the difference between that kind of a vision statement and then the kind where you get 
this organization that just accelerates and becomes incredible in their output, in their productivity, in their organization, in their camaraderie, all of those kind of things. How, what's the difference there? And because I've seen both examples and both have great leaders at the helm, but why does one really embrace that vision statement and the other one forgot that they ever even wrote it? And so as I heard Cameron Harold talk about this vivid vision and describing what that is and this multi-page document that outlines your vision and, and what it's going to look like as you're progressing towards your vision. I read your book notes on Cameron's book and oh, yeah. there was something in there about if I was to go to a home builder and say, well, I want you to build me a very nice and beautiful home with a beautifully landscaped yard and a, and a well-decorated interior. What you're going to get is not what you had envisioned. And so to think that our organizations are going to achieve what we envision off of a two or three sentence vision is not congruous with reality. Yeah, it's really interesting how good we are doing that for things and how poorly most of us do that for people, (laughs) isn't it? Like we have these beautiful plans of, I'm thinking about your work. I for years worked with folks who were building fighter jets here in Southern California and the plans and the detail that they would have drawn up for one tiny part of the airplane was unbelievable. And then you'd turn around and thinking about how to lead a team and how, what's the vision we have for this team. And oftentimes there is not that level of detail and there are that thinking going through. And it's really interesting that we, as a, as a organizational culture and as a society, we are not great at doing that for not only our teams, but, but for ourselves of having personal visions. And, and yet we're so quick to do that for things, you know? Right. And so I think about that and I think about feedback. My experience has not been great with feedback, with receiving feedback. Early on in my career, we didn't have a formal feedback mechanism and and program and we've evolved into that but right now so for an officer within the air force the requirement is and, and this i think is uh, for our enlisted as well you start a new appraisal cycle so within 60 days i have a sit down with you and do an initial feedback so expectation management and outlining what this coming year is going to look like and then somewhere in there i'm going to do a midterm feedback And then I'm going to give you your final appraisal and hopefully go over that with you. And so in a year, I'm going to have three formal interactions where we we have some sort of feedback. And I heard somebody make the comment once about um, Michael Jordan. And I like Michael Jordan. I grew up watching him just do astounding things with a basketball. And the, the question was, how often do you think Michael Jordan gets feedback? on his play, on his game. And the person said, well, he probably gets feedback daily. And I would say probably even down to the minute he's getting feedback from uh, Phil Sims about how he's doing and what he needs to improve on and what he needs to, how he needs to dribble the ball or something, right? 
And he doesn't take that as critique that, oh, you suck, right? He takes that as an opportunity for improvement. And so, A, it's how the feedback is crafted and provided, but then also how the feedback is received. And so, as we look at developing people and having a vision of where your staff is going to go, we've got to have that engagement with them. We've got to be able to sit with them and say, hey, you're doing phenomenal in these areas. These are some areas that I'd like to work together to improve on. And for that individual, that that team member, not to take affront to that as if I'm not approving of what they do, but to be able to have a good dialogue with them about how we work together to improve not only you as a person, but our organization and, and potentially your interaction in your personal life as well. If you've got a a poor trait that you're displaying in the professional arena, you're probably displaying it in your personal arena just as much, if not more. So that regular conversation, that regular coaching allows that to happen quicker. And and I'm curious, as you think about the visions that went in the drawer of years ago and what you're doing today, what looks different as far as quantity and 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 even maybe richness of those interactions and those regular conversations than you did in the past? So from a vision perspective, I've got five direct reports right now. And then below that, a staff of about um, 50 to 60 engineers. And we oversee design and construction of large construction projects, multi-million dollar construction projects throughout the Pacific and family housing and environmental activities. So we have a broad spectrum of engineering services that we oversee and assist with. And so I've asked each of those direct reports to develop a vivid vision of their organization and where they see it going in three years. We have a bit of short-termitis, I think. Um, That's not an official government term there, but uh, (laughs) short-termitis because I'm only going to be on station two or three years. And I may not stay in in a job for that full time. I may rotate to a different job. So sometimes people have a tendency to to wait out the guy with the new idea. Um, so I'm I am working with my team to help them develop a vision of where they would like their organization to go, and for them to buy into and become invested in their organization and where that goes and and what happens with that. You've spoken to something that really strikes me as a challenge in the military, but I don't think it's unique to the military. It's probably most apparent where someone comes into a leadership role and then two to three years, they are often have orders for a new assignment. Yet, I don't think that's really that much different than how things work in a lot of organizations, right? We don't think about that as much of a regular, you know, it's going to be two to three years. But it often does end up being that there is someone who comes in and has started something and then they're off on, they've been promoted or they're off to a new opportunity or they needed someone else in the organization. And the rest of the organization is left with, if that leader hasn't done a great job of creating a vision and a culture, that that sometimes that progress doesn't continue. And um, And it sounds like you're really thinking proactively about that, of knowing that 
you know, you and some of your dark reports, I'm sure, will move on in a couple of years, most likely, of what can you do to create a vision that doesn't rely just on one person? Right. And so part of what you asked also is, how does that play out with my direct report? So I try to oh, sit yeah. with them. Now, so when I see something, I do something. So if I see good behavior, I say, hey, Stacy, that was phenomenal. I really appreciate the way you communicate, the, the analysis you did. And I try to give specific examples. You had this engagement with these people and I saw this. And I think that that is really good. And I, I think you need to keep doing that. Um, similarly, if I see something that needs to be worked on, I call that person into my office and I say, and we have a, a little discussion about that. But I do it when I see it. I don't wait for, oh, I can't, I can't talk to you about it until our midterm feedback. No, I need to talk to you about it right now while it's fresh in both of our minds. So I'm not left and you know, three or four or five months later trying to remember the example that I wanted to use to illustrate this point. Let's have routine, ongoing conversation about work, about leadership, about life. And if I have that vision of where I want our organization to go, and you have a vision of where you want your subsequent subordinate organization to go, we can then discuss about are the things we're doing moving us towards that vision because we understand what it looks like along the path. I love what you said a moment ago. What a great call for leaders. When I see something, I do something. That's a, that's a powerful mindset right there that goes in contrast to the world a lot of us grew up in, which is we sit down for the formal performance review or the weekly one-on-one or whatever it is, but really taking the time in the moment to give that feedback or that coaching versus waiting for whatever you know, time frame is right for that. I heard once the comment, the issue you walk by becomes your new standard, right? So uh-huh. when I walk by it and I don't do something about it, I've now said that that's acceptable. And so that person then will promulgate that and, and do it again and again. And potentially, if it's, a, if it's a poor behavior, where could it spiral to? How bad could it get? before I then do something about it. The book, Radical Candor, I can't think of the author who wrote Radical Candor. Oh, uh, Kim Scott. Yeah, so she speaks about that as, as an opening example of how this employee, this direct report for her just wasn't performing. And it wasn't egregious, like you know they were embezzling money or, or a really bad situation. They just weren't performing. And it came to a point where they... She had to have the conversation and, and tell him that he wasn't going to be employed by the company anymore. And he's like, why didn't somebody sit and talk to me about this 30 days ago, 90 days ago, you know, 120 days ago when you guys started observing this and give me the opportunity to correct my behavior? Why am I just finding out about this now? And so that leads into her whole discussion of we've got to be able to have conversations, polite, professional but transparent and appropriate objective conversation in an effort to bring up the entire team and bring up you as a, as a team member, 
but elevate our entire game. As you thought about bringing in some of these new ways of thinking and creating a vivid vision, I'm imagining that that was a transition, a little different for others in the organization. And I know one of the things you did some thinking on early on was um, how to really create team guidelines and set a good team culture. And one of the folks that you've latched onto is Susan Gerke around that. What did you learn from Susan and how was that helpful in beginning that process of establishing what those team norms and guidelines would be? So I heard a reference to your interview with Susan in, in one of your episodes. I thought, oh, team guidelines. That's a apropos topic because I was in the midst of bringing together two organizations. They'd previously been one organization and then through different activities, they'd been split into two organizations and now we were bringing them back together. And some friction had developed between these two organizations. And now I was going to lead, be the my current position. I was the chief of engineering. So I was moving into this job. And so I said, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to hear more about that. So I listened to Susan talk and, and your discussion with her. And I was like, oh, this is this could not be more timely. And one of the things that stuck out to me in her discussion with you, she says, the dialogue that happens while team guidelines are being created is almost the highest value thing that happens. And I experienced that. So I got her little handbook that she produces, and, and we sat as an organization and talked about team guidelines and how we wanted to interact with each other. And my team, my five direct reports, weren't quite sure what to think when I got them all in the room and we started going through this exercise, but they quickly got into it and they quickly became invested in it and wanted to participate in this dialogue about team guidelines and how we were going to interact with each other. And so instead of just squishing the two organizations together and hoping for the best, and we'll deal with problems as they come up, let's have a proactive discussion about how we're going to operate and how we're going to treat one another and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And it was phenomenal. We came out of there with a list of about five guidelines and they're posted all around the, the office now. I see them in people's cubicles on the walls and we're actually getting ready to in about a week and a half, we're going to have our follow-up meeting where we're going to review those and, and see how they're doing and if we need to make any adjustments. And overall, just it's been incredibly impactful. You're right. Many of the people that I work with, they aren't quite sure how to take me sometimes because I, I've tried to get out of the traditional command and control, mildly dictatorish leadership style. Sometimes you hear, or maybe, maybe you don't hear, within the military, we talk about you know the throat punch as the mechanism to get you to do what I want you to do. And trying to step back and have a dialogue and recognize that I am not the smartest guy in the room. And I'm okay with that. And I'm here to, to hear your ideas and potentially elaborate on them or send you off in that direction as fast as you can charge or whatever. But it's just been really impactful. Um, stepping back and, and taking a deep breath. And if any position as a leader is one where you probably could get away with 
command and control, being a colonel in the Air Force is one that's probably pretty high on that list, right? And yet you've really made a very conscious shift to, yeah, I'm sure there are the moments where you're given an order and people need to move, but I, I bet that's the minority these days. And with the shift you've made, it's much more about coaching and dialogue and listening and expectations. Those are the words I'm hearing you saying. I don't hear you saying the, you know, how do I give orders better? Right. Because I'm not in that environment, right? I'm here in Honolulu, Hawaii. I'm stateside. I am not in the middle of a combat operation. And so I, I need to utilize this as my leadership style. And I think even in a deployed environment, in a, uh, we say deployed, but in a combat environment, there are times where you can have this more introspective coaching leadership style, recognizing that there are going to be moments where I've got to give a command, I've got to give an order, and you're going to go execute that order. But as I build up to that, if I coach and I engage and I am present before I get into that give order situation, we are going to have a better understanding of one another so that when I go and I give the order, you know that you got to go do it and we don't have time to discuss it, but you've got trust in me and and we have a trust relationship to where you trust that I'm giving you an order that is necessary and required. And I'm not just doing it frivolously because I wear rank and you don't. Mm. I so appreciate you reminding me of so much of the wisdom of the past episodes. You've illuminated a whole bunch of things that Parker Palmer mentioned, Susan Gerke mentioned that I'd forgotten about. And I really yeah. appreciate that, Mike. And more importantly, I appreciate how much you've put into practice from what you've discovered through our community and through the experts who've come on the show. So let me see if I can do a reasonable job here, hopefully, of capturing all the episodes we mentioned today. Uh, one of them was uh, what we mentioned from Susan Gerke, how to create team guidelines. For those of you who are looking to dive in on that, that's episode number 192. Mike also mentioned the work of Marshall Goldsmith, The Way to Make New Behavior Stick in his book, Triggers, episode 196. We mentioned Kim Scott, who was on episode 302, How to Challenge Directly and Care Personally. Another military leader who was on the show, Mike Irwin, on The Power of Solitude, episode 308. Of course, we mentioned Cameron Harold, How to Create a Vivid Vision, episode 345. And then finally, The Way to Stay Grounded with Parker Palmer. So I'll have those all linked up in the notes. And of course, this week's weekly leadership guide. Well, I appreciate so much you taking us on this journey you've been down, Mike. Um, you know, we're, we're all on this journey together, right? And I think one of the things I love about our community is that we're all here together, working together, um, hopefully providing each other with a bit of that inspiration and the next step. And if we can do that, that's huge. Thank you so much for your leadership. And thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. I'm really grateful for it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. It's been a real honor. If this conversation today with Mike has been useful to you, I'm inviting you also to take a few moments to step inside the free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you do that, it'll activate your membership and you'll get access to the entire episode library since 2011, searchable by topic, including all the episodes we mentioned today. Uh, plus, you get access to my weekly leadership guide, the personal library, the audio courses, and tons more. You can get access to all of that just by going over to coachingforleaders.com. 
coachingforleaders.com. And as I mentioned up front, the Saturday cast is brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. If you'd like to discover more about the Academy and be alerted about opportunities to apply for membership, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash academy and find out about future application opportunities. Thank you so much for listening and see you this coming Monday for our next regular episode. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.